Hi, listeners. This is Zoe. And Kelsey here, too. Jumping in here before the podcast today to give you guys a trigger warning. Today's episode is going to have discussions of consent and sexual assault. We are going to be going into detail about these things, and we just want to give you a warning ahead of time. All right. Now on to the show. Hi, and welcome to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. And today we are joined by Jenny Nordback, who is an author, retired dominatrix, and co-host of The Wicked Wallflowers. So Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm super excited. Yes. And we are so lucky to have you for this episode and for this discussion. But do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about you and what you do? Yeah. So it's funny, just before we started, I was telling Zoe that I was watching Bridgerton and had volunteered to come do this and was like getting ready to send these ladies a message to be like, I will talk about any episode, but episode six, I just don't have it in me (laughs) to have this conversation about consent and everything else right now. And then like was seeing just all these Twitter takes on it and got like matter and matter and matter and was like, you know what? That is the only episode I want to talk about. Like, let's do this. (laughs) And I am uniquely qualified to talk about consent because I used to be a dominatrix and consent is such a huge part of the BDSM world. Um, And I've written at length about consent and it's something people ask me about a lot. So um, yeah, my background, I have a degree in archaeology um, from cool. USC, which is useless, um, <laughs> except as like a party trick. Like you can march out your archaeology degree if uh, conversation starts lagging at a party. Um, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, panicked, d- bailed on my PhD program, was like, what am I doing with my life? And somehow that answer became, I'm going to work in a dungeon for a couple of years. Um So I worked as a dominatrix for a little while um, at a dungeon in LA, and then I wrote a memoir about it um, that I always feel weird plugging, but it's called The Scarlet (laughs) Letters, My Secret Year of Men in an LA Dungeon, which is the worst subtitle ever. And I fought so hard about it because it was not a year, nor was it only men. So... Um, that's, that shows you something about how the book world works. They're like, no, it sounds good. And I was like, it's not true. (laughs) They were like, people like a concrete length of time. And I was like, people are not stupid. (laughs) Oh, wow. So here I am talking shit about my editor. Um, (laughs) nobody's ever going to publish me again. (laughs) She knows. Um, so yeah, and then now I have a, a podcast that also talks about romance called the Wicked Wallflowers Club. So. I think a few people have heard of that one. <laughs> yes, I think so. And in fact, when we were first getting started with this podcast, I had a friend who happened to be at RomanceCon in New York and had met up with you. And so we we're getting oh, started. Nice. She's like, you should talk to the Wicked Wallflower Girls. They're so nice. <laughs> also a fellow USC grad. So, Oh, fun. So you were talking about, Jenny, um, you you reached out to us on Twitter because I had made a post looking for people who hadn't read the Bridgerton books. So our, we usually have been asking our guests, what's your relationship to the Bridgerton books? And I was looking for someone who hadn't read Bridgerton, but still was a romance, you know, adjacent person. And you uh, fit that, right? You had not yeah. read Bridgerton. 
Yeah, I hadn't read it and I still haven't read it. Um, any of them. Excellent. Like zero wow. exposure going in. So, oh my well, gosh. That's well, that's because gonna this make conversation this is going to be so different. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. It's going to be so different because we've all been so enamored with what's to come in season two. And so Kelsey, you and I are going to have to be careful yeah. about our, I mean, okay. I've seen enough that it's okay. But. <laughs> okay. Well, anyhow, Anthony. Um, so, so um, uh, but then Jenny, uh, after watching the show, you know, before we get into our episode synopsis and then our discussion of, of the episode and the whole series, um, do you have a favorite character uh, from the series? Ooh, I mean, I like Penelope a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and then Eloise is the kind of scholarly sister, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I think Eloise is probably my favorite. Partly, like, they've clearly made her really immature here, but I can see what they're trying to do with her. And yeah, I can re definitely relate to that character. Yeah. Who just, like, wants no part of any of it. <laughs> Yeah, she's uh, she's pretty great. I feel like they've really taken um, kind of some of the underlying character traits of hers that are even just not as strong in the book, but really kind of brought those out in the show and kind of brought us and in my opinion, also like an even better version of Eloise. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm right there with you. I really, I really like her. So then let's go ahead and get into our episode synopsis. So this is episode six and the title of this episode is Swish. So we begin as Simon and Daphne start their honeymoon. They arrive at his estate Cliveden together and are greeted by the staff, including Mrs. Coulson, who is the housekeeper. But before she can take Daphne on a tour, Simon absconds with Daphne to the bedroom. But eventually, Daphne does get a tour from Miss Coulson, who makes a point of showing her the nursery, which, as we know that Daphne knows, won't be used. At dinner, the couple shows their budding relationship to us viewers. Daphne moves across to sit next to Simon instead of staying seated formally at the very far end of the table, and they talk of familiar things. But talk and food can't keep these lovebirds at the table, and soon they're outside kissing in the rain. And then we get a big montage of the pair breaking in the castle, so to speak, with sex scenes in a great variety of places. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Can't forget about that ladder. <laughs> Daphne also takes her role as Duchess very seriously. She and Simon meet with the townsfolk, and unfortunately, Daphne's desire to please everyone causes her to inadvertently snub the farmers. Simon also starts to really look into the books and realizes he needs to spend more time paying attention to them and their tenants to keep their incomes on track. As their relationship stumbles a bit on the outside of the bedroom, Daphne takes Mrs. Coulson aside to talk to her about Simon's past. She's fairly forthcoming, and we learn more about his estranged relationship with his father, including rehashed elements of what we've already seen in flashbacks. But something Mrs. Coulson says sparks something in Daphne, and she immediately afterward runs to her maid Rose and asks her to please, please explain how children are actually made. And Rose does. So that evening, when Daphne and Simon have sex, she gets on top and forces him to orgasm inside her. Afterwards, she tells Simon he tricked her by lying about the reason for not having children, and Simon feels betrayed because she did something without his consent. And the pair get frosty with each other. Now, back in town, all sorts of things are happening. 
Eloise has been charged by the queen to uncover Lady Whistledown's identity, so she's working on that. Meanwhile, Colin confirms that he's asked for Marina's hand to marry, which no one other than Marina and Mrs. Featherington is happy about. Penelope is distraught, and Anthony confronts Colin, questioning Colin's devotion to Marina and refusing to give him his blessing. After all, Colin is so young. So the blissful Bridgerton household has gone frosty too, as no one but Colin thinks he should marry Marina. He tries to explain that it's love to his mother, but Violet knows her son and is worried for his future. It seems a rash decision to her, but Colin believes himself in love. However, we know that while Marina likes Colin, she is just using him to change her own fortunes. Penelope is torn knowing the truth about Marina and begs Marina to change her plan. But since Marina won't, Penelope gives in and takes Colin aside to reveal some of the truth about Marina. She tells him of Marina's love for another and the letters too. Sadly, Colin is blinded by his love and refuses to believe this. Marina, sensing that her tenuous plan is hanging by a thread, she appeals to Colin's emotional side and convinces him she cannot wait to be his wife and that they should elope to Gretna Green so that they could be together. Colin agrees. But determined to help Colin see the truth without revealing Marina's full secret, Penelope goes hunting for the love letters from George. But when she does find them, she realizes that the last letter, the one renouncing Maria, must be a forgery from her mother. Penelope excitedly tells Marina that George is still out there and might love her, but Marina tells Penelope she's seen sense and understands she must marry, so she burns his letters. She defiantly tells Penelope that Colin will accept her despite the pregnancy she's currently keeping a secret. However, as the episode comes to a close, we learn the next morning that somehow Lady Whistledown has discovered Marina is pregnant and has revealed so to the entire ton. Whew. Well, um... This work. It's a big, big episode. And I will say, so we normally talk about the episode spoiler free, uh, but there's so much to discuss within this episode that there's probably going to be some spoilers here for context and everything. So before we get into our discussion, shall we adjourn to the parlor? We shall. So we're going to be short and sweet here in the parlor today so that we can get into our discussion about episode six, since this uh, episode was a little bit different format. But if you would like to interact with our recap on social media, be sure to use the hashtag B-E-E, my Bridgerton. To get in touch with us about this or any other episode, you can email us at romancepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at T as in Tom and as in Nancy Strumpets, on Facebook slash T and Strumpets, or YouTube by searching our name. And of course, we have linked to our YouTube in the show notes. As you guys know, we're hoping to up our subscriber count on YouTube to unlock some new uh, features there on YouTube. So if you'd like to just hit that subscribe for us, we've got a handy link in the show notes. And if you really want to be in the know, you can sign up for our email notifications on our website. If you subscribe, you'll be the first to know what we're reading each month. Plus, you'll get all sorts of extras, including exclusive content from each of the authors who join us on the podcast for our regular interviews. Our website is romancepod.com, and there you can find episodes, more information about us, and other resources. So take a look. 
And finally, if you like what you're hearing, we would be so honored if you would consider leaving us a review. Reviews on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever else you can review us um, really help other listeners find the podcast. And of course, you can always tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways that I've discovered podcasts, and your recommendation is a great honor. All right, so let's get into this episode. Um, a lot happens here, and including the big scene between Daphne and Simon, um, which is in the books as well. Um, and when this uh, series was coming out, I feel like a lot of us were like, oh, cool, they have the opportunity to not do this scene, but they chose to do this scene. And one thing we'll caveat it on if anyone like Jenny has not read the books, the scene in the books is much more questionable. Yeah, I would I would definitely so, say that, Jenny. I don't know how much how much you know about the, the I've seen quite book. a few people talk about it that I think Simon is drunk in the books, yes. right? So he's yeah, he's drunk in the books and, and Daphne is sober. And Daphne's sober, and it's much more like a conscious and we talked about it quite a bit in our full episode on The Duke and I, which I think is like episode six of our podcast. It's like yes, way back very there. early but, on. But um, so if you want a full discussion on, you know, the scene from the book, feel free to uh, check that out. But let's just talk about our first, you know, reactions. Jenny, when you saw this, obviously it, it raised something in you for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're talking about that scene specifically, right? Not mm. them like fucking all over the castle or. No, I think that <laughs> was <laughs> fairly consensual. Like yeah. Yeah. just from my point of view, that looked fairly consensual. <laughs> no, no consent issues there. Um, yeah. So, you know, I was primed for this scene going in. It's not like I went into this blind. Like I'd already mm -hmm. seen so much discussion about it even before the show had come out. Like it, it's not like I was surprised by it. So I was like waiting, waiting, waiting for it to happen. And, you know, it, the actual interaction between the two of them, like the having sex and the kind of the moment where like she stays on top and he kind of loses control and whatever. I was like, huh? Like it, it wasn't good, but it, it the moment where it really fell apart for me is she gets off, not literally, she climbs <laughs> off of him. Well, I guess that yeah. is still literal. Um, <laughs> and he says, I don't like, what did you do or what have you done or something like that? And she makes it clear it was like premeditated and deliberate yes. and it wasn't like a... Mm -hmm like a oh we kind of lost control here it was like she set out to do it and that mm -hmm. was where the scene really fell apart for me because oh, that's really tough for me to forgive like she knew that he was not okay with it and she did it anyway and you know it's hard because i think you can make an argument that um if you look at it from a historical per perspective that, you know, she may not have understood consent issues and, you know, as a woman of that time, maybe felt like she was entitled to have his children if he was capable of it, yada, 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 like on and on and on. But this isn't, we're not making this show in history. We're making it today for a contemporary audience who does know about consent. And, you know, we, I would like to think have grown especially in the last couple of years with Me Too discussions and like just we have become so much more aware of the importance of consent and are having these conversations in a way that we weren't having 20 years ago when this book was written. So it's like 
this wasn't made in 2000. This wasn't made in the time that it's set. It's made for a contemporary audience. And they had an opportunity to think about that a little bit more. But I think they knew what they were doing. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think it's necessary to make art that is free of issues. Like it, mm-hmm. it happens sometimes deliberately, you know, like look at a show like uh, Game of Thrones, you know, there's incest, there's rape, there's all kinds of issues and they know oh, yeah. that they are doing those things. It's not up for debate. It's like, it is openly problematic and we watch it anyway. So, you know, I think it is important to critique it, but it does not mean you can't watch the show and that you can't enjoy the show, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, I think where we got into trouble with this one is you had so many people trying to justify it as though they needed to justify it in order to enjoy the show. Like the the idea that they were liking the show and this thing was in it mm-hmm. was a problem for them. So they had to try and be like, no, it wasn't really sexual assault. And like, yeah, it was. I don't know what to tell you, but it was. Well, and I think, too, like you mentioned, the fact that Daphne, like right afterwards, immediately jumps off of him and is like, you know, protecting herself because she knew she did a bad thing, you know, like that was very premeditated. You know, I think that in the context of why they chose to keep it in the show, like we mentioned, it's a much better scene than in the book. However, I think keeping it in really is the context of the fact that like they're both meant to feel massive betrayal. I'm not justifying the act because it was an issue of consent and it was, but that's why you need to understand why it was such a betrayal for Simon, like, and why he should feel so hurt afterwards. Like, because it, it was, it's bad and he should be allowed to consider it a bad thing. I think that, I think that it's really interesting the way that they did it you know, from the book and quote unquote, making it not as bad, right? Like, so they, 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 they made it not as bad in a lot of ways in, in my eyes, this is not justifying it. I I promise I'm going to get there. Um, (laughs) one, you know, Simon isn't drunk Two, when it happens in the book, Daphne rolls off of him and rolls up into a little ball. Like, and, and I think the line is something like she's trying to save every drop of him, you know, like there it's, it's not, yeah, Jenny's face is, is not great. <laughs> it's that's exactly how you know how 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 I feel now when I read it. I didn't feel that way when I first read it, but I just feel I'm much more aware of that in the current climate, which is good. Like I think that's that's that we're looking at these things in a much better light. And so that's why, like, while I think that they did some things that quote unquote made it better, they also, you know, had the opportunity to write it differently where you know, Daphne didn't necessarily say it like that, where she could have gotten off of him and said something different, like a, a more betrayed thing. And I think we could have still necess- could could have still had Simon's betrayal. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I just feel, I just don't know why they went halfway with, you know, making it better um, mm. versus um, erasing it. Like they could have completely yeah, I- it and done it completely differently in a manner that was consensual but yet still a betrayal in some way, but they like, like you said, like, or they could have just gone full tilt, you know, like, and made it bad because it was bad. Yeah. The making it better is I think part of this conversation that I have a really hard time with um, yeah. because I think 
you know, survivors of sexual assault Mm -hmm. and me being one of them have a really hard time with this idea that something wasn't bad enough. Like, when does it count? When is it bad enough to really be sexual assault? And you deny it and you blame yourself and you go on this like vortex of, you know, like it wasn't bad enough to count. It wasn't full-blown rape. It, you know, maybe I consented at the beginning. Like it gets really confusing and it's difficult to deal with. And I think when you see people on the internet talking about something like this in a show and these like degrees of bad, like if he was drunk, it would have been worse or, you know, because, and it's like, yeah, it's sexual assault. Sorry. You know, like it doesn't matter which rung of sexual assault it is. It's not okay. And he was a victim and she was in the wrong. And, you know, I saw someone, uh, a psychologist wrote a Twitter thread about that. And I just started to sob because it was like, that was what I needed to hear that like, these justifications that people come up with and these like ways that we look at like how good or bad it was for someone make it really difficult for survivors of sexual assault to like wrap their heads around their own experiences and like rehash all of that work that they've done in their heads, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. No, it does. Because I think too, the idea behind it is understanding what sexual assault is in that sense. It's like you said, like they're trying to rehash. It's like, oh, well, I consented at the beginning. So where is that line? But, you know, for me, like my own personal journey came with a like I was like I came away from a situation feeling gross, feeling icky. And I had done a lot of wrong things like, you know, I didn't like myself for it because I knew I'd been in the wrong with a lot of it. But I had gone come away hating myself and like but not feeling good about it in like a different way. And I was talking to a friend and she was like, well, you know, that's sexual assault. Right. And I was like, oh, I did not actually put two and two together. But then talking about it later, you know, people are like, oh, but was it like that seems like such a like really exaggerated word to use for that situation. It's like, no, but that that there was a line. I had like there was consent and then there was no longer consent. Yeah. Well, and isn't it wild how we like don't And I think it's partly because of these things that we're just so inundated with this messaging of like what counts that Mm -hmm. that we can go years until somebody points it out before you really understand your own experiences in the context of like, oh, no, that was a violation. Like, you know, I went to USC and I was a patient of the USC gynecologist who has been in the news Mm -hmm. and for years knew that what had happened wasn't okay and that it made me uncomfortable and that it was wrong. And it wasn't until it hit the news that I was like, oh, that was sexual abuse. Like it, you just reframe it in your head. And then you suddenly are like, how could I not have seen it as this before? And how could I not have spoken up? And it's, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's such a strange thing that like it, when it happens to you, you don't necessarily think about it in these black and white terms that we do when you're looking at something else or hearing about your friend's experience where they're like, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is why it's so important to call this what it is Mm -hmm. and not try to justify it or, you know, skirt around the issue. It's not okay. Like she was completely in the wrong and she violated him. And, you know, I think where it is a problem for me in this show is that I don't think I think what they were trying to do is make them both in the wrong, like Mm -hmm. that it wasn't just Simon who was in the wrong and like hiding it from her. And then she discovers it and they have to work through that. They were trying to make them both bad. Like they had both fucked up. 
but I don't ever see Daphne have to like reconcile that. Like she no doesn't ever There's apologize. A- <laughs> There's no groveling. There's it's like they make them both wrong, but then only treat it like Simon was wrong. And because That's- they don't ever resolve that, it feels unresolved to me. Like it's it's like, well, wait, she did this and they never they never deal with it. If they had done it and then made them work through it in a healthy way, I think I would have less of a problem with it. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I think that's where I was trying to get to earlier and I kind of lost my train of thought, which is that in the books, they have a conversation that is way more interesting and kind of it, it doesn't get detailed into that, but it de- definitely, they they have an honest conversation kind of coming back together and Simon gets to say some stuff and like gets to actually like be not okay with what happened. Um, and he and even so- says like, I'm not okay with uh, like what happened, but at the same time too, like I want to work through it. He's like, but yeah. I'm not okay with that. Yeah. And with, he's, I think he actually says what you did was not okay. Yeah. He and there's never, like it. you said, that's, that's not, missing. That's missing How can from the show. Do yeah. this and not have that. Yeah. And it, and you don't have to yeah. do it in like a, a forced like dialogue about consent that they wouldn't have had back then that, you know, pe- would take people out of the story. But that exactly, he doesn't have to use the word consent, but he can say this is not okay or what you did was not okay. And even just acknowledging that on the screen mm-hmm. would make yes. such a difference to me in the context of the, the show as a whole and like Daphne being redeemed. It's like Daphne doesn't ever get redeemed for what she did. Mm-hmm. For sure. And uh, yeah, the the fact that they, they have this kind of very solid relationship in the epilogue of the show, let's say, right? Like they're shown having a child happily ever after. Yay. But how did they get there? It does feel like there's a very quick, you know, there's too much, let me sum up kind of moment mm-hmm. um, that, that happened that I didn't even notice happened. And I don't know, maybe having some context from the books that I, I just kind of didn't even really absorb that but having this conversation now like it's absolutely missing it's it's blatantly missing (laughs) it's really surprising to me that they have it in the books and not in the show that they like you know we've said these varying degrees but they toned down kind of doing air quotes you know the this the questionable scene but then didn't they completely took out the scene where they address it yes And it's just like you said, they don't address it. But at the same time, too, as much as I feel like Daphne and because especially like I felt like Daphne and Simon coming back together didn't feel as like tangible, I guess, the word I'm looking for, because they didn't have a big sit down talk about it. And it's not that they needed a big formal talk, but there was like really like no acknowledgement about the wrongs on either side. It was like, I can't live without you we can be together, children are blessings. And like, and even summed it up in episode eight, it's like they dance, they talk during the dance and suddenly like everything's fine in the world for them again. There's no really working through that shared trauma and pain together. So how do we as viewers then, you know, work through that trauma and pain on our own, um, especially those who uh, have had experiences like this? What do you guys think? I don't have a, I mean, I think my answer is like, I'd call it what it is. I'd acknowledge that the way they handled it didn't work for me and that Daphne was not redeemed for me. Like, I don't forgive you, Daphne. Like, you're still mm-hmm. on my shit list. We're going to talk about this. Um, but, you know, it, 
it is what it is at that point. Like at that point, I decide whether I still enjoyed the show as a whole. And I did. Um, or, you know, I, I don't want to talk about it. And, you know, I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist anymore. So a lot of the conversations that we've had kind of with our other guests kind of surrounding this scene is, is that, is that a lot of conversations around consent have arisen because of Bridgerton. So in some ways it's opened a big dialogue on consent, but is it valid to consider that that, you know, is, is a good thing that's come out of it? Or do we think that Bridgerton had a bigger responsibility that they dropped the ball on? I mean, I think they dropped the ball a little bit. Like they, could have done it better. Like even if you were going to leave that scene alone, I think just having one line in there would have made it significantly better for me if they could have just acknowledged it on the other end. Um, But yeah, like it it reminds me a lot of Fifty Shades of Grey, where like, was that the best example of consent and BDSM? Like, is that the model of BDSM that I want everybody (laughs) and their literal mother to read? Not necessarily, but it got us talking about it and it put it on the radar and it allowed so many other pieces of art to be made and analyzed and it aroused this interest and it changed publishing and the way we treat women's fiction. And like, you have to give it credit where credit is due. And that's kind of how Bridgerton feels to me where it's like, is this perfect? Is it the exact show that I want it to be? No, probably never going to be, but it's done really well. And it's got all of us talking both about the validity of women's stories on TV and, you know, how we could make romance in a way that really is marketable and profitable and that there's interest out there and men are excited about it. And it's like, you have to take it as the full picture of like, it brings all of these good things to the table. And like you said, the controversy around that scene has gotten us all talking about a kind of consent that we haven't had a really deep discussion about, particularly when it comes to like women violating men or, you know, these Mm -hmm. issues, we don't get that much opportunity to talk about that. Have some people really shown their asses trying to talk about it? Yeah. But you can't learn until you show your ass and get eaten alive for it. (laughs) I think definitely like that's it. That's something that, you know, Kelsey and I struggle with too, right? Like we want to say, something educated about these subjects, but it's also really important to just say like, well, a year ago I was a reader and that was it. And then I thought it would be really fun to start a podcast. (laughs) And I don't know why people are listening to me, but I'm so, so thankful for all of you guys. Um, But Mm -hmm. I'm going to screw up too. Like I'm going to screw up all day long because I am not an expert on all these Mm -hmm. things, but I'm really glad that I get to have these discussions and learn more. Well, and like you said, I mean, like we've said some things on the podcast and gotten, you know, emails about it or corrections about it. And it, we like it. It's like, you know, we want to have these discussions because we want, we want there to be an open dialogue. We want there to be discussions on all different levels. We want to talk about the inequalities in our world and we want to talk about the negative things and how, you know, but at the same time too, we know that we have a very narrow lens from our own personal experiences. And like, we might put our foot in our mouth. You know, that might be it. And if we do call us out on it and we'll acknowledge it because it's the only way to learn because we've felt that like being too afraid to have the discussion is just as bad as not having it, you know, so we might as well have it and maybe need to make a few corrections. But the fact that we are openly saying, look, we're open to it, like tell us where we got it wrong, you know, (laughs) and that's the thing is 
create anything, a podcast, a book, like literally anything, you are probably going to do something problematic at some point to someone. Um, And I think that was the point I made it in my initial message to you guys. It's like, I wrote a memoir and there's some problematic shit in it that I have been called out for. And I would 100% not write that stuff now. But, you know, in, in the moment, you can't think of all the things to all the people. And, you know, you're in your own headspace and have your own shit going on in your life. And you just don't always think about it. A show like Bridgerton has more hands and more pressure and, you know, should probably be held to a higher standard, but it's still an artistic choice to include it in the show. It's still a show made by people, you know, it's still a show made by people and they probably getting into that scene. I'm sure the writers of the show and all that probably had massive discussions about what to do with it. They can look at the source material, look at where the show is going itself, what they want to do, you know? And as you said, it's artistic. They had to make a choice. And maybe we don't agree with the choice, but at the same time too, at least we can talk about it and discuss it. Do you guys want to talk about the fact that Simon ejaculated all over the house and <laughs> yes. he was cleaning it up or uh, <laughs> right? so much everywhere? Just such a sticky mess. I yeah. don't know, man. Uh. <laughs> oh, there was a lot in this episode and I did want to discuss some of that, not just yeah. the consent stuff because yeah, this episode yeah. has t- like, yeah, the first of all, the sex all over the house in so many uncomfortable places. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, I wish I wish there'd been more foreplay in in Bridgerton. I, I actually kind of enjoyed the sex montage because it felt very romance novel. Like as a reader, mm-hmm. I was like, yes, like all of these, like they have sex everywhere all the time for two weeks. They're just stuck in their room or whatever it is yeah. that we read in romance novels. But yeah. Yeah, I like the visual of the sex, but I was like, Hastings, may I introduce you to a clitoris? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he does go down on her a couple of times, so I shouldn't be complaining that much. But and he also, did, there's... and he did explain to her how she could get herself to orgasm. Yeah, <laughs> but there is a whole lot of just like stick it in there and like thrust away. Yeah, and yeah, as a viewer, I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on, bro. Like, <laughs> as a woman, I was like, mm. <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, the well, sex on the desk. I was like, that was not good. Like, you would be punished for that. You owe her <laughs> orgasms, buddy. <laughs> uh, for absolutely. sure. And one thing I will say this, like, because they did have the big scene, which everyone thought was so interesting, was like, you know, when Daphne, you know, brought herself to climax, which was fantastic that they visualized it and they showed it in such a very like elegant, classy way earlier in the series. But then it's like you could also show him giving her an orgasm before penetration. Yeah. Imagine that. I know. Like, and people were like, they can't, it, they don't have that long. And I was like, make it a montage. Like, just give me flashes of each thing that they're doing, like each mm-hmm. act. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, like 45 seconds of him getting her off and then 10 seconds of him yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hopeful that as in subsequent seasons, we'll see some different, you know, types of sex happening, you know, obviously like they were, they did it in lots of places. They did it in lots of positions. I don't think she ever went down on him in this. Did she? Not that I remember. Which is fine. There's plenty enough of that in media, you know, but um, (laughs) 
I'm interested to see. Like, hopefully, we'll get some different kinks and things with different characters. And you know, I, I always I just... love. But one thing I love about romance that I would love to see is, you know, when they're describing like the woman's first time with sex and their rake of a new husband or whatever is like showing them the ways, and he's like, "Tell me." <laughs> but that's like great, great because it's such a good scene because they're like, "Tell me what you like. Do you like this?" Do you like that? You know, like, how does this make you feel? Is this a good feeling? Oh, do you want me to continue? We have so many scenes like that in romance. And those are such sex positive scenes about asking what your partner likes, what they dislike, what they want, you know, having an interaction during sex versus just like bodies coming together. Mm. I did, though, in this one, it's her first time having sex. And he's like asking her about what she was fantasizing about or something. And I was like, just let her like she's nervous. She's freaked out. She doesn't want to tell you about her fantasy right now. Like, just shut up and fuck her. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's so mad and so uncomfortable. No, the male ego needs to know that she's fantasizing about him. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) So we also in this episode have something, you know, we have the other storyline about Colin and Marina. And I think we would be remiss if we did not discuss their storylines. So like, Mm -hmm. especially because, okay, spoilers now, guys, really, if we haven't already spoiled things like spoilers, like we know that at the end of this series, Penelope is Lady Whistledown. And so we know um, as a reader who already knew that Penelope was Lady Whistledown, like I was very upset. Yeah. That that she did something malicious and told mm-hmm. the ton that Marina was was pregnant. Lady Whistledown was never malicious in the books. She's only extremely witty and hmm. yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. And so and funny. Oh my god, so funny. Um but so it just felt like crazy to me that that she did that and I could see the storyline going there and I don't know how else I mean it had to happen <sighs> based on how things were going because how else was Colin going to find out about Marina cuz Penelope wasn't just about to go like she tried to do it a different way about oh she's in love with another one but how else was she going to really like let this big secret out cuz people would condemn her for keeping the secret you know and- But Jenny as as someone who didn't watch this or didn't know that Penelope at this point was Lady Whistledown. What was your thought? Or did you already know? Cause you, you'd seen spoilers. You know, I hadn't seen spoilers, but for some reason it clicked for me really early when they were at the party and Daphne and Simon dance mm-hmm. and they're dancing. And then the first person they cut to was Penelope like mm. watching them. I was like, Oh shit, it's her. And then, <laughs> you know, I didn't get confirmation till later, but, um, so I did suspect it was her as I was watching this just for context, but yeah, I have a really hard time with this storyline because it feels very selfish to me the way Penelope made that decision. Like if I mm-hmm. look at the consequences for each of them, like loveless marriages were a totally normal thing then like, You didn't necessarily have an expectation of a happily ever after and a marriage founded upon love. Like marriage was made for all kinds of reasons. So there's, you know, it's horrifying to us that like Colin would be trapped in this marriage, but it really isn't that out of the ordinary for them. So there's on one side, you have Colin marrying someone and who he seems pretty happy with and like being lied to and having to like raise somebody else's child. Okay, not great. On the other side, you have an unwed mother mm-hmm. who is now in like dire straits, mm-hmm. like so seriously vulnerable. bad situation. And like, 
yeah, it works out. And, you know, she finds this other avenue to a life of safety and, you know, she's taken care of. Probably not as much happiness. Yeah, for sure. But they didn't know that at the time, you know, like Penelope didn't know that when she threw Marina under the bus. So like, was what Marina was doing wrong? Technically, yes, but she was put in a really shitty situation. And if like one of those outcomes to me is a lot worse, like Colin being trapped in a marriage to someone that he probably would have learned to actually love and like gotten along with and whatever. He's really young, but like, it's not that horrifying an outcome. Like she's nice. She's attractive. She likes him. Like it's not like she secretly hates him or something versus like Marina potentially ending up on the streets with this innocent child. Like that's a really bad outcome. So Penelope decided that this was worse than this. I think purely for selfish reasons. Yeah. Oh, agreed. I mean, she was infatuated with Colin and didn't want to see him marry someone who was lying to him and acted the way she felt she needed to. But again, like, like you said, like I, I guess for me, like, cause I was annoyed at everybody in this whole storyline. I was so annoyed. I was like, Grr! um, because I didn't like where Penelope was going. Cause I saw her being like, I saw her have to take that path like, you know, that isn't so out of character for her, really, because she is truly a caring person and wouldn't do something so malicious, you know, normally. And at the same time, too, like, I get Marina was like in dire straits, you know, like, but as you said, like, marriages are made for all kinds of reasons. And Marina was just like, nope, Colin. And, and I know she's out of time. She's out of time. Like, she doesn't have any more time. But I just like, I was just so annoyed with everybody. I didn't yeah. like anybody in this situation. Yeah, there's not a good answer there. And like, I know that Marina was technically wrong and like it wasn't okay that she was trying to trick Colin and, you know, that we're supposed to see her as a villain and it's really bad and whatever. But like, I didn't. What was she really tricking him into? Like, she is a decent human being in a bad situation. She has a child on the way. Like, Zoe has a newborn. Like, what would you not do for your child? You just, like, w- you just would, you would marry the first, you know, reasonable person that came your way and you'd try to find security. I was so there with you. Like I feel, I felt like Marina was not the villain, that Penelope was the villain. And I was angry that they made Penelope the villain because I think she's so much better than that on the page. And Mm -hmm. I think they missed out. Like they, Lady Whistledown was never vindictive or vicious. Well, she was vicious, but like, because she was like, absolutely hilarious vicious Mm -hmm. but she was never on the page malicious and that's how i feel like she came out here well it makes me wonder how much male input there was into that storyline of like a man Mm -hmm. being trapped and tricked into like raising another person's baby is equal to the situation that she would have been in where any woman like a pregnant woman looking at that would be like fuck no do what you gotta do girl like (laughs) yeah no and that's the thing is like I didn't I didn't like this because then you see like you said they're trying to make Marina a villain I didn't want her to be a villain but then to turn and then make Penelope a villain I'm like but she's not like I don't think either one of them are villainous and yet you know, that's, it was just frustrating to watch. Cause I'm like, why do they have to be villains? Like, why do they have to be bad guys in this situation? Like, I feel like there's just so much else that they could have done. And, and, you know, Jenny, I don't know how much you know about Marina from the books. Um, and I've seen some spoilers of where her story might be heading and I'm horrified. 
Yeah. Do better writing staff. Don't yeah. do not fall like you've got plenty of warning that that is so, a bad choice. So yeah, we've talked about this in another episode. Um, so do you, do you mind if I, 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 so you probably have seen these spoilers, but um, yeah, yeah. yeah, go for in it. In her, in her story or in the book that her story features in, she has, she suffers from really bad depression and then postpartum depression and then eventually uh, suicide. And she is such a, she's not even, um, alive when the book takes place. You know, she had been, she's a character that had already passed away long before that. And her husband is dealing with that loss and all of these things that, you know, come with that and his children. And so there's actually, in my opinion, like, a really positive thing talking about postpartum depression and suicide and and recovery from those sorts of things but having marina as a character now um going toward like potentially going towards that i feel like we're in a major issue space like we are talking about with this episode and the consent like i think that things are going to get really tricky if that's the direction that they had. And again, that was an artistic choice they decided to make, knowing all the things that, you know, looking through all the books, it's like, okay, so you've made us, you know, invest in a character that book fans know doesn't have a happily ever after. And even if she does get a happily ever after, it's going to impede potentially what we expect as the happily ever after for another character. So it's very complicated. (laughs) Well, and it's further complicated by the fact that she is a woman of color who, yes. if you go uh, down that path, you are using as a plot device for a bunch of white people. And yeah, that's also not terrible. good. No. Yeah. So there were often dynamics between like Marina and Mrs. Featherington that made me very um, nervous uh, early on in the series. And yeah, because she was an actress of color. And I just was like, which is also know. why I didn't want to see her made a villain either. And yeah, then yeah. like what the one whose other has to, the one whose other in that family has to be the villain. And she's the like pregnant out of wedlock. Yeah. Like, yeah. One oh. who, yeah it, there's a lot to unpack there from a, a racial standpoint, but yeah, I'm, I'm like scared that they're going to go down that path with her because they, they, you know, had an opportunity to make better choices with this scene of sexual assault and they didn't. So like if they just have her be this tragic character who like ends the way that she does, I I don't think I can forgive it. Like that would probably be the end of the show for me. So speaking of Overall, I mean, okay, yes, we're like terrified about potential future things, but <laughs> for you, um, you know, like what what did you think of the series overall after not having too much context about Bridgerton and and getting through what is the Duke and I? I mean, I I enjoyed it. I loved the visuals, like the costumes and the casting and all that kind of stuff. Like I I'm assuming you guys have talked about it in other episodes, but <laughs> the way that they decided to handle race, yeah. I like some pieces of it, but there's that throwaway line that was in there about like it being because of the queen that made no mm-hmm. sense and completely took me out of the story and completely yeah. changed the way that I thought about race within the show. So I was right there with you. <laughs> That was really tough for me to like, it then was just in my head the whole time. And, um, you know, I didn't love that choice. 
obviously didn't love some of the choices about Daphne not redeeming herself. Um, I think Daphne as a character, I had a hard time really loving the way that you need to for the heroine to be the vehicle that like gets you through the story. She's not our favorite Bridgerton. We're going to throw that out there. Daphne is not our favorite Bridgerton, even after reading all the books and watching the show. She's she's not our favorite Bridgerton. There's so many romance novels that you could make into a show and I would be like, I will die for this heroine or, you know, whatever it is. And like, this wasn't that for me. It was just kind of like, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I love, love, love that it's doing as well as it is because God damn it, we deserve more. Like, give us more. So, you know, it's like, I'm really excited. I I'm not, I haven't watched it four times like a lot of people have, but it's okay. I'm weird about rewatching and rereading things. I have only watched it the one time. And then again, I've only read the books twice each because I read them once 10 years ago and then I picked them back up for the podcast. I'm not a big fan of rereading things. I don't usually do it. There's so many new things that I don't often gravitate towards a reread. But have <laughs> you in the last year? I feel like so many of us have been rereading and rewatching in like the trauma that all of us have been dealing with. Um, no, so I didn't in the last year. So I only reread all the books for our podcast. No, she just means like rereading just in general. In general. Oh, like I've watched general. the entirety of Black Sales at least three times in the last year. No, no, no. Like I, I rewatched something. So the problem is, is like I like TV shows medium. Like I'm into them, but I'm not that into them. The problem is my husband like lives watching tv shows so the problem is like we'll start a show that's very nostalgic like we started watching scrubs and then the problem is he'll watch like half a season while i'm at work and then i'll get home and be like i don't know what's happening anymore and then <laughs> oh, no. i just like check out so that's the thing is like i don't tend to rewatch things just because i know he takes them to like a next level and i just don't have that energy but I did reread the only thing about rereading as far as like good hearted things. Like I had a hard time reading a lot this year. I have periods where I read a lot and then periods where I didn't read anything. But I'm watching, nodding vigorously in case anybody yeah. is wondering. Yeah. I think a lot of us really struggled. Yeah. Huh. And so, uh, but watching Bridgerton, the first thing I did, I was like, I watched like three episodes, four episodes. Mm-hmm. And I went back and I picked up an old Julia Quinn to reread it because I just like the show made me just so nostalgic for her writing. And I picked up a book again that I hadn't read in probably like eight or nine years, like one of the first Julia Quinn's I read aside from the Bridgertons. And I read like, it took me three days and I read three of her books because that was the happy feelings that the show gave me. So it gave me good, happy feelings. Just. I just explored them in a different way. (laughs) Well, I'll just chime in here to say that uh, I was pregnant during 2020. So that was also a weird time, you know, for me, just because especially towards the end when like I was done with work and yeah, anyhow. So I rewatched 16 seasons of Top Chef and uh, (laughs) uh, we also rewatched a a whole bunch of of stuff. Rewatching was, yeah, absolutely a comfort. And yeah, it's about that time for my annual or biannual reread of Devil in Winter. So I'm a big rereader. <laughs> I I was seeing it discussed on Twitter yesterday and was like, yeah, I could use some Sebastian in my life right now. You can always <gasps> use a Sebastian. That's the thing. So that sure. was, I was reading What Happens in London, which is not the main character, but a heavily featured character is a Sebastian. And I was like, Oh, a Sebastian. That's just what I needed right now. <laughs> yeah. And I think um I think that uh there's a lot 
of of from Bridgerton that kind of gives you that nostalgic feeling of of romance um, as a reader. Like I, I feel like they did capture a lot of the spirit of romance of, of Regency romance within the show. Like as as a fan of the the books, I felt seen. I mean, we've said this, you know a few times now, <laughs> but I really did. I felt seen. I felt like they, they, they gave us a lot from the books, um, scene for scene in so many ways that many adaptations don't do. And yeah, I mean, I'll definitely say it. Like we, we've had one guest on who said the Duke and I was her favorite book of the series, um, which great. There's something for everyone, but man, it is so not my favorite. Like there's <laughs> so, I feel like the books, the rest of the books are so, like, not all of them, but many of them are so much better. And what are your feel, favorites? Um, for the me, Viscount, sorry, I'm interrupting. I'm very go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. You love me as in all of us, all of us, big Bridgerton. I feel like a ton of us is are that just Anthony and Kate. Yeah, That's next season. Right. You don't have to wait long. We don't. Thank God. Um, and then the <laughs> other so one, which you is better like learn some bedroom skills in between. Cause if he fucks anybody else up against a tree <laughs> or a wall and just like pounds away and then is done, I am not going to be impressed by him. Uh, no, um, <laughs> we, we have another guest who has some, it's on the next episode. So I won't spoil what she says, but we have a guest who, um, it's, it's two episodes from now, but, um, they have some definite, uh, ideas. Uh, what's what I'm looking for ideas about Anthony. So anyhow, and yeah, but then the other one for me, which was funny enough in the reread became like probably one of my favorites was when he was wicked which is Francesca's book. And it is a complete departure from the other ones. It still has funny moments, it's, but it's a little bit more away from the family, but it's like heartbreakingly beautiful. There's a lot of emotional baggage and like coming, it's like the two characters are both dealing with their own emotional baggage and overcoming it and then coming together to overcome it more together. And Oh, Francesca's the random sister who appears at the end. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing is you don't get a lot of Francesca in most of the series. And then in, her, in most of the books, in yeah. most of the books either. And then her book is just this beautiful entity unto itself. That's just like so heartbreaking and beautiful all at the same time. And way steamier than oh. any of the other books oh. in the series. Interesting. It's, it's, like, it's almost... Like, is this Julia Quinn? Like, just because it's it's such a departure from how kind of the the level that she keeps most of the other books at. But that one gets like way steepier. Mm -hmm. It's great. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. So I think for me, um, I really love um, all of gosh, it's hard because I, the Viscount who loved me, like is just, it's really great. And I identify very personally with Anthony because he and I lost our fathers at the same age. And, um, kind of suddenly and w when she writes those scenes it's it's very relatable for me so i think mm. like there's just a lot that uh that i just connect with with anthony surprisingly <laughs> um and uh but a sleeper for 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 a lot of people that i love so much is benedict's book um which is a cinderella story um and i don't think we're going to get that in the show but I'm okay and I'm here for it. <laughs> Why don't you uh, think we're going to get that? I think, I mean, to me, it seems like they're they're doing a queer storyline for, for Benedict. And I would be totally fine with that if that's the direction that they go in. I think it's really interesting. I think that uh, I love all the, the queer historical romances I've read and I would love to see it on screen. 
I would love it if they did. I, that interestingly wasn't the read I got. I, I read it as like queer baiting, like they'd set it up in the previews and stuff that maybe we were getting a queer storyline from him. But then in the show, he's with the the dressmaker lady. <laughs> but then maybe that's him figuring himself out. Yeah, and- that's what we see. Because for us, like Aunt- Benedict in the books is kind of like the side character. Then you get him in his books. But for us, like watching him in this first season of the show, Benedict really stands out. And you can see him kind of become like discovering himself a little bit more and his journey there. And we're like all about this journey he's going through. And we would love to see it like culminate in something new and different. Yeah, I'm really hopeful it's not queer baiting. It's not just like, oh, this is something, you know, this is part of the world, you know, look, there's some bohemian lifestyles, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And like, and then that's it. Like I'd, I'd be disappointed if that's where it is left. I think a lot of people would. I think most of us are really here. Everyone we've talked to is really here for Queer Benedict. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, funnily enough, um, I think part of the reason I love Eloise so much is because she gives me kind of queer vibes. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. like I would date you. We've <laughs> talked about that as well, because we'd love to see an alternate storyline for Marina, which would then mean an alternate storyline for Eloise. Mm. Yeah, so that's Eloise's book where uh, where Marina is featured. So they've I've already thought of so many ways they could fix that the Marina oh, yeah. thing where I'm like she doesn't really die; she like has her own love story and wants to escape. So they pretend she died. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. guys, you've got to write your just, way out of this. It was really funny when we were talking about that. I was like running through different scenarios. I was like, well, maybe she just like you know leaves, you know, or maybe. She grants her husband a divorce because he sees how much he loves Eloise. I don't know. You know anyway, I mean, no there's options. No, yeah, it's <laughs> write your way out of it, figure it out, but do not do that to that character. I, yeah. It's unforgivable. When you say write your way out, I'm sorry, I'm going to have another Hamilton moment because I just feel like it is the eye of the hurricane, like staring at you and like they do need to write their way out. So anyhow, um, yeah, it's. There's, they've already said somewhere, uh, Kelsey, you've read this somewhere that, that one of the Bridgertons will not end up with who they end up in the books, but is it Eloise? Is it Benedict? I mean, those are the two that like right now have definite potential for not ending up with their, you know, book mate, uh, mm-hmm. obviously Hyacinth and Gregory and Francesca. We don't really know much. I don't know. I don't, I don't want them to toy with Francesca's story. Yeah, they can well, change something <laughs> so more Bridgerton characters feature in it, but I do not want them to change her story. Mm-mm. Well, she's in London. Isn't I she? wish you guys or could see Kelsey's face right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't change it. It's beautiful. You don't need to mess with it. <laughs> it's, it's pretty great. Um, and I, it's, I mean, the, the, that's the kind of the cool thing about um, the Bridgertons is like, you know, we've kind of talked about this before where like there's a little bit of something for everybody. You know, there's a lot of different stories going on. You know, like I just said, I kind of relate to Anthony, you know, because we have a shared experience and, and Francesca her, in her book is a widow. And I think, um, that is also like a really interesting, uh, point of view to come from. Um, and is so typical for the genre, there's widows all over the place in Regency romance, um, because they're afforded a different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for writers, it gives you a little bit a different, uh, play, play space, you know, to, to, to write your characters. Um, but yeah, I, I, I am, I'm, 
I think we diverged quite a bit from which books were our favorite. But yeah, <laughs> it happens. Yeah, it is interesting. Be- like if this was like a, a Lisa Kleypas family, you know, if this was like the Wallflowers or the Hathaways or whatever, I would... I know where you guys are. Like I, I have those like intense feelings about those characters and those stories. And I'm like, don't touch it. Like I will come for you. But I think because I haven't read this one, I'm like, no mess with it. It's totally fine. (laughs) Well, some of the discussions that we've had, we've had, we've really kind of come to the conclusion with all of our guests that as readers, we do really feel seen and we do really feel like they did justice to these characters. They brought the spirit of the characters to the show so well, and they gave so many nods to us readers that we felt like they actually loved the source material, you know, overall. Um, you know, there's yeah, they weren't scene- mocking the tropes. Like they mm-hmm. gave it to us in the way that we wanted it. It wasn't like tongue in cheek or, you know, mm-hmm. like they were setting it up to be ridiculous. It was like they were taking it as seriously as we take it. Mm-hmm. Well, and and for example, it's a very like a very small thing that you know, as a fan you feel seen where like there's that scene earlier on with Anthony and Daphne down in the kitchen trying to turn the stove on to get milk and that's in the book exactly as it's written and they can't figure it out and they <laughs> stare at it and they just have this moment. And it's like little things like that that as a fan you're like Oh, they they gave us some of those moments we love, and mm-hmm. and I don't know that just makes it um, more more exciting to see. So I'm I'm with them. They've they've hooked me to the point. You know, right now, obviously, there's some things I'm wary about, and there's some things that, you know that we've already discussed here today. But um, I am also like, yeah, mess with it because I feel like you're you're still handling it with care. You know enough that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm willing to follow you on this journey. You know, I do wish, yeah. Do I wish that Lady Whistledown was wittier and fun and just laugh out loud funny like she is and that Penelope wasn't vindictive? Yes, of course. But if you've got they, Julie Andrews to work with. I know, <laughs> but I'm like, okay, so they still could redeem her because it could be that she has to go low to go high or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, you know, I don't like what she did, but Hopefully we'll get a a conversation about it <laughs> at some point. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, it would be interesting to know how much the writers understand that these things are like not okay and they've done them anyway. And to what degree they think that they have written it in such a way that it it works and is okay. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. do they think that they made it no longer sexual assault? Do they think that Penelope and Marina's choices are equal? Or do they know that they've written it in a really complicated way where it's like not maybe, really okay? But maybe they have like a much more intentional thing for that later on. Who knows? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm like not quite ready to trust you yet. Yeah. But we're I'm on willing the fence, to like, like so far. I'm so going good. on the ride. Yeah. <laughs> I'll keep watching. Just don't betray me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I could. I mean, I feel like we could be betrayed at the the drop of a, a hat because it is romance, and because it's very easy for people to berate romance. You know, um, it's so easy to fall back on on things, and yeah. But mm-hmm. I I don't know. I feel like. You know, like we all said, I'm on the journey and yeah, don't, don't let me down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> yeah. You've got eight books of source material, you know, you've got eight very well loved books of source material, like have fun with it, but 
You have a yeah. source. It's not like your books haven't been written yet. <laughs> well, and I will also say none of them are as controversial as this one. So there's no reason to make it more mm. controversial. Yes, exactly. I mean, yeah, thinking yeah. about Hyacinth's book, they just literally go on a caper to find some hidden jewels. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's have Aww. a caper. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, so then I guess, Jenny, the question to ask, which you pretty much have answered is, are you going to watch season two? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Like you make romance material. I will watch the shit out of it. I will probably <laughs> play it on repeat in the background, even if I don't like it because I want more. <laughs> like, I do yes, too. I will definitely watch season two. I am here to see what they do with Anthony. At the very least, I'm here to see Tessa Dare's excitement on Twitter as uh, Anthony. Yes. <laughs> uh. And do you think you'll pick up any of the books or are you not that into that idea? Oh, I don't know. I think I've been having such a hard time reading lately that oh. I hadn't completely thought about it. I I won't be picking up Simon and Daphne's book. I think I'm sort of past that storyline. But I think you guys have made me interested in starting at the second one. Like I know enough from this one that I'm like, <laughs> yeah, Anthony and Kate, that sounds pretty fun. It's a great place like, to start. Everybody seems really excited about Kate. So I'm interested to see who they cast her as. Oh, we're all yeah. very interested. Cannot wait. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Definitely excited for that. But yeah, let us know if you, if you read it. Yeah. Hear your no, thoughts, mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say you guys will have to cross the other way and come on Wicked Wallflowers and maybe I'll have read it by then and <laughs> we can talk about it. We would be happy to. We would love to do that. Be so honored. So Jenny, we are so grateful that you came and talked about this episode with us and it was so fun and we'll have to do it again sometime in the future. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You guys should come play on our side. Mm -hmm. We'd love to. Absolutely. And uh, if our listeners want to find you, where can they find you? Um, all of my personal handles on the Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook are just my name, Jenny at Jenny Nordback. Um, How nice. Which is J E N N Y N O R D B A K. It's the like one of the few fun parts of having a wonky last name is I get the like <laughs> just my name on everything. Um, and then, yeah, my podcast is the Wicked Wallflowers Club. And we have a really fun Facebook group called the Wicked Wallflowers Coven where you know, you want to talk about sex toys or something, come hang out. Um, it's a really fun group. And then, yeah, we're on Twitter and Instagram, whatever, as I think we're like WCKD wallflowers because we picked a name with too many letters to get the handle. So you can just find it by searching. It's going to be okay. We also had to um, omit some letters from ours. <laughs> yeah, we always say T as in Tom, N as in Nancy strumpets, like TN strumpets. And it's like, could we not figure out a better T as in something? You know like what? We've been doing that so much, though. I feel like that's just our signature because we always say the same stick. one. I'm going to remember it. <laughs> but now but I'm like, like, what's a romance thing that I could, like, what is a T word and an N word where I, like, like a classic romance character or a word or a trope or something hard because I was like, I did think the same, like for like Regency too. I was like, okay, carriages and corsets. And I'm like, okay, those are all C's. Like I can't think of T's and N's anyhow. I think you should put it out to the Twitterverse. There you go. That is a great idea. Twitter usually has comes through on stuff like that. 
But um, anyhow, we will link to all of your things in our show notes. We are so glad you were able to join us. No, thank you guys. And we hope listeners that you guys will be back with us next week. Actually, yeah. So this is a Thursday episode. So it'll be next Tuesday that we're back with our seventh installment talking about episode seven, which is Oceans Apart with author and bookstagrammer Maisie Eddings, who is also a friend of the pod. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you all so much for listening and join us next week. And may all your ever afters end happily. Tea and Strumpets is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Podcasting, I'm like, there's a dog, whatever, it's a dog. <laughs> yeah. I would love to ask you about that one day. That's so cool that you've you've gotten, you do that and I don't know. Anyhow, I'm very interested. We'll get in there, that, but I've derailed us world. immediately. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'll go ahead and talk us in. Ha, uh, wait, before I do, uh, pronunciation of your last name is Nordback? Yep. Just like it looks? Okay. Yeah. I, I completely embarrassed myself with because I was like, uh, I that's how I would have said it. I totally would have fucked that up. And then I was like already in the introduction and was like, oh, fuck, I did it. Anyhow, she was very gracious. Oh, wait, can okay. I swear? Should I not swear? Swear away. Okay. Yeah. I don't care. This is a romance podcast. If we can't swear and talk about all the nitty gritty, then better to make sure than have you swearing at me as you're editing it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we had actually our last guest said the same thing. And I was like, yes, yes, swear, please. (laughs) Um, I mean, whatever, whatever works. Okay, so. And uh, yeah, I um had mom brain and totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> you are doing great. You are guys, doing great. Guys, my baby has slept for over two hours. I know. I was like, the I baby has woken, woken her up. Normally, so normally she takes a two hour nap first thing in the day, but she had her, I, I let her stay awake too long and she had a meltdown. And so now she's been sleeping two hours and 15 minutes and I really should have woken her up to feed her, but like, whatever. It's um, fine. <laughs> it's going to be okay. I promise she's going to be fine. <laughs> she's so fine. I'm so happy she's having a nice long nap. Anyhow. We had, we have a series of episodes when I had my second and she was a newborn and she's like making noises in the background or I'm like nursing as I'm recording. And it's such a, a funny thing to reflect back on, like the intensity of having a newborn and trying to record around their schedule. Oh, yeah. We've been <laughs> dealing with that. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of text messages back and forth and like trying to figure it all out. But um, yeah, it's it's funny editing those episodes because I edit a lot of it out. And then I'm like, well, do I want to hear her little coos or me talk? And then I'm like, no, no, no. Everybody else does not need to hear that much of it. You know, it's... it's <laughs> no, we do. Me. I want to hear it. <laughs> there believe me, there's plenty. It's also funny when like I've muted because she's crying and I'm like, are people going to know that I'm not part of the discussion, you know, but Kelsey and like, there's, there's a good chunk of the Vanessa Riley episode where I'm gone. <laughs> and, and I was like, no, Kelsey and Vanessa have this. Excellent. We were on fire with each other, Vanessa and I, we were really having a good time. <laughs> Yeah. So, but so. I do love that the world that we're in, it's so many women, even women who don't have kids. And we're just, everybody's so forgiving. I've found yeah. that 
like my husband will be worried about something or, you know, like, do I need to take her? Is it okay that she's making noise? And I'm like, no, it's fine. They get it. It like, it's not a big deal versus his like male dominated construction industry where it's like, oh God, a baby has appeared on screen. How dare you have children? Like, <laughs> I think that's really funny because my husband is also in construction and yet he's the one who's like holding our cat like a baby in the middle of meeting. <laughs> Actually, that's hide him And he'll like cuddle the cat. He does carry the cat around like an infant. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, it has been really great. Like, you know, I've I've had to tell everybody like, oh, I'm probably going to have an infant come in during our recording. And, you know, it's not to be like, is it okay? It's just to be like, just so you don't, you're not surprised by a baby all of a sudden. Like, and everyone the and Sarah comes in and everyone's like, look at the baby. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of, I'm going to like start making, I was about to say I'm going to make loud noises, but that would just be loud in your headphones. Oh. But like, I want to see the baby, damn it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. She's but very, not cute. really. I want you to get as much of a break as you can have. I appreciate it. Yeah. <sighs> it's so nice that, that they, when they do sleep, um, but anyhow, uh, yeah. enough about that. We should wrap up here because uh, yeah. that baby is probably going to need my attention soon. <laughs>